That's good. Oh man, it is Tuesday. I mean, I it feels, uh, Sujan, it feels like Monday to me. It's Every one of those days. Day this week is well, it's only Tuesday, but yeah, I mean, it's all screwed up because feels like Monday. Last week Tuesday felt like Monday as well, and I, I don't know where I am. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who I am right now. The pandemic has messed up my life, and then my kids have been uh, sliding to home plate like that one uh, inside baseball. That one baseball guy who slid to home plate but didn't get tagged uh anyway that's like what our school is like um if we can pass that'd be great because the pandemic messed up our world so everything feels like monday all the time hello everybody it is tech chat tuesdays for tuesday june 15th it's june 15th already so john how do we get there i don't know my daughter's last day of third grade and she's going into fourth grade next year I just time's flying she's gonna own the fourth grade man that'll be it like she on the third grade. <laughs> well, we are here to talk about all things tech. Um, first of all, uh, you can look at the video for this. Let me turn on the screen. Um, you can view uh, our content by going to chariotsolutions.com slash techcast. You can see all of our uh, podcasts there. You can also hit up um, our YouTube site. Here comes the screen. Uh, if you hit YouTube, um, Chariot Solutions, get the right name in there. You'll see all of our content there, including all of our Tech Chat Tuesdays. Uh, and if you look at our playlist, we got a ton of stuff out there. Um, we are coming up soon with the Philly ETE 2021 content uh, in about a month or two. Uh, but we have all 2020 all the way back to like 2009 or something like that on there. There's a lot of stuff there and a lot of interviews that we've been doing and just interesting stuff. So head on over there and check it out. But let's get started with uh, some stuff that happened over the last week or two. Um, we, By the way, we've switched to a every other week setup here um, just because we're getting really busy. Uh, and uh, we also figured there'd be more news over the summer in two-week chunks than there is in one week. And it turns out there's a ton. So WWDC happened uh, while we are away on June 7th to 11th. Um, Sujan, it feels like there's not a ton of actual major leaps here to me. Um, what do you think? I generally feel the same. I didn't feel there's anything super major, just a bunch of smaller things within each of those areas. Like iOS 15 has a number of uh, changes and, and things like that that I don't think are, are shattering, but you know, more around security and privacy and health, things like that. Um, Mac OS Monterey, I think the interesting part about that, at least from the little I, I read, was more about what is what is supported on the Apple M1 silicon versus features that won't be supported on the Intel-based Mac. So they're, it's starting to bifurcate now, and they're starting to clearly Ooh. prioritize M1 over the Intel-based Macs and what features will be available or not available. And some of them are like graphics-related, performance-related. But uh, uh, like oh, here's here a, like background blurring on FaceTime calls because FaceTime's trying to become more like Zoom. Like you can now schedule calls and share links and folks that are not on FaceTime, like on Android platforms, et cetera, can, can actually participate on a FaceTime call. Um, but just anyway, so background blurring is not going oh, to be God. available unless you have an M1 silicon based Mac, which is people are like, that's kind of funny when you're spending like three grand on the Intel one. Like, okay, you're not going to give me background blurring. Like, come on. 
Right, right, right. Well, I have the weirdest yeah. ads popping up, by the yeah. way, as a guest right now. <laughs> so um, I'm going to just close that out. Yeah, that's one. Here's some other stuff in here. Um, you know, like there's, there's. Uh, well, I don't want to open that features list again because it gave me some bad stuff. But anyway, keep going. Sorry. I think no, no, it's fine. I, I just all, I, all the only thing I'd say about that was it didn't in my quick skim. I did not see anything. Um, that was earth shattering from a developer perspective of something that support. That's what I was trying to look out for. Like, is there things that are going to affect us as right. developers that is only going to be available on M1 and not on the Intel base Mac? And my quick skim didn't didn't reveal anything to that. So that made me feel a little better, at least for now. But it's clear that App Apple is now on the M1 train, and they're saying bye to bye to Intel. Uh, I guess the only other thing to think about is all these onboarding of. And I didn't think it was all that interesting. I have an M1 Mac. Now I forced myself because I wanted to do a lot of music stuff lately. And so I figured, you know, I'm a nerd and I want the M1 Mac. So I picked up this MacBook Air and it's freaking fast. I'll tell you that. Um, it does not have a fan. So it's like this quiet, cool, fast machine. And um, they have iPad app support, right? So you can run iPad applications. You can't run everything. It seems like the iPad app developer has to go in the app store and enable that perhaps, or it has to go through some testing. But I think that'd be something that we might see, you know, maybe customers asking for their apps to be certified for running on an M1 Mac uh, as well. So that's what I'm thinking that might show up at some point for us. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I'm still waiting for is, I mean, we got Monterey and iOS 15 at some point there's going to be enough convergence because the M1 chips in both these systems. So it's not the processor speed. That's the issue to run, a federated operating system, but when are we going to get like true, you know, multi-process support on the iPad? And conversely, I hope we never get to the point where we have this awful single view tasking view in the Mac where we act like an iPad. I don't want that. I want the other way around where a power yeah, user absolutely. with an iPad can have like a surface book kind of experience, you know, or the option of, of, of both modes. Yeah. Yeah. That would be very cool. Yep. So that, I felt the same way. I felt like it was kind of incremental, but uh, big, big changes, obviously, internally. It's just that there wasn't some huge feature. And it makes sense. They dropped a brand new chipset. So there's so much they're doing since they're now aligning both those machines to the same chipset. There's just tons of internal stuff to do, I'm sure, too. The Apple Watch is going to keep getting more and more health features, like, you know, measuring blood sugar levels and mm -hmm. um, like how you're, you're walking your gait. And it's like getting a lot of different signals to figure out. <clears throat> your health and i think it's things that you know, are getting some of which will get fda approval and some maybe won't but yeah. seems to be turning into a like legitimate tricorder at some point in the future <laughs> that's very cool isn't it all right here's something that i found that i thought was odd ohio sues google seeks to declare the internet company a public utility <laughs> this is the columbus dispatch this seems like a really really like long shot right um, so the bottom line is that the Ohio, I'm going to quoting here from the article and the article is on the, on the Columbus dispatch written by Jackie Borchardt. Um, Ohio attorney general, Dave Yost has filed a lawsuit asking a court to declare Google, a public utility that should be regulated as such. Um, and so he's looking at from, you know, their, uh, state, uh, people, uh, seeing that it's anti-competitive and discriminatory that they're steering internet search to Ohioans. 
and apparently there's Delaware County, Ohio, just like there's a Delaware County where I live in Pennsylvania. But um, the bottom line is that 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 just seems to me like a crazy long shot. How's a, a local, you know, municipality or state going to make any kind of movement on Google that's going to reach yeah. anything? So you get like a bill from Google every month. You've you've used X number of searches. Like what I mean. I can't even. Oh, and it says here the lawsuit does not seek monetary damages. Um, so yeah, I mean that would be like reclassifying a company as a utility. That that's just not going to happen. It feels to me like it's a political move to get attention more than it is an actual real issue that's going to get solved. You know. But yeah. I thought it was entertaining. <laughs> it sounds like Ohio wants to collect revenue from people using Google. Is what it sounds like. Oh, you know that's interesting. Well. If you're legalese uh, uh, comfortable, you can read this entire pleading. Uh, I'm not going to. We're going to move on. But anyway, hey, Columbus is trying to make it, or Ohio is trying to make it so that uh, Google's a utility. Stay tuned. <laughs> Fastly went down on the 8th, uh, and that's a CDN used by a lot of companies, apparently. Um, and, well... Someone, uh, Max Rosen, has an interesting thing on his website, online or not. Um, said, in case you've missed it, for about 15 minutes on June 8th, 2021, Fastly CDN had an outage, taking some of the internet's largest websites down, and they're big websites, right? BBC, Reddit, New York Times. Um, also, Amazon had its, <laughs> its uh, CSS fail to load. So I guess Amazon, even though they're using their own, uh, happens to have their website use CSS on Fastly, which I guess they'll probably change now. Just a guess. Um, but my thing that I love about this is the guru meditation error. And I need to explain what that is. Someone decided to make a 503 error that reported guru meditation and some sort of piece of information. This original, uh, well, they meant to say me meditation because it was originally guru meditation error. Oh, okay. They stole this message from. Um, there used to be back in the Amiga many, many years ago, the Commodore Amiga, um, a 16-bit microprocessor-based multitasking system that I owned back in the 80s. When it crashed, and it crashed hard, the screen would go down by a third, and there would be this big red banner that it said, Guru Meditation Error, and some stupid message that only the developers would know, and there was no internet, so like, what could you do with that? It's basically, my computer's dead. Um, and this is just a rant by someone about please write a decent error message. And it might be cute to you to quote a very old cryptic error message label, but uh, we can do better. Like we can write in plain English. We can explain what the error was caused by and, you know, is it going to get fixed and so on and so forth. But what, what caught me was like, well, there's nothing you can do about it. You have no idea what's going to happen. You have no idea what actions being taken and you have no idea when it might be back. Um, it's like he's dead, Jim, right, in Star Trek parlance. <laughs> um, so, for example, couldn't we put in, like, our services down for maintenance, uh, things like that? This reminds me of, what is it? Was it uh, GitHub or Heroku that had the really silly error that would show up when it went down? Was What was it? I think Was it Heroku? GitHub. Okay. It was some sort of animation of something. Was it yeah. a turtle or oh no? I oh. remember it was it was the fail whale um, thing. It was Twitter. Oh, no, was Twitter, okay. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, same thing. Like people, please do good messages. <laughs> I mean, I just thought that was when, if it's a known set of errors that you're expecting, then you can write really nice messages around exactly what happened, why, and if it's something unknown, 
then it's harder to provide a useful error message because the programmer doesn't know that it's an error state that could occur. So it just whatever exception occurs bubbles up to the top. But in this case, it could have at least provided some more, more uh, user human friendly text, even if it didn't yes. actually provide more information. Absolutely. Yep. All right. There's me getting on my high horse when I write my own bugs really well. Um, here's another one. Terraform 1.0.0, the official release of Terraform 1. Um, just that caught my eye as well. So, you know, they're just kind of shoring up things for the 1.0 release. Uh, and so now uh, they're going to have, you know, backward compatibility going with major version one. Yep. Uh, and That's there's a the compatibility promise. Now every, every release. Mm -hmm. I guess they really, that was the issue, right? That would change Terraform a bit every time and it would break everyone's scripts if they upgraded. Um, and now they're going to start having backward compatibility, which I think is a big deal for them. There's so much Terraform out there. I mean, just imagine the number of systems out there that are provisioned using Terraform. So this is, I mean, this is big, both from a stability perspective of knowing now that they're going to maintain backward compatibility, but also that small bugs or breaks can probably wreak a lot of havoc. Yeah, true, true. Yep. So if you're if you're an AWS person, you might have used CloudFormation, or you might have used Terraform or CDK. There's a number of ways of provisioning things, but Terraform works on that. And Terraform's interesting play Terraform has is it it has different backends and features for different cloud providers like Google and Microsoft as well. So Terraform's an interesting animal. Whereas CloudFormation is directly created by AWS, this is a cross-platform language with features that can be provisioned across different cloud prop, uh, systems. So. Check it out if you're interested, but at least now you know there'll be backward compatibility. Tetris Enclosure Script. This is really cool. So um, you got to give credit to where credit's due. Sean LeBron, um, .github.io, um, built a Tetris clone using Closure Script. And for those that don't know Closure Script, Closure Script is basically being able to write Closure and have it produce JavaScript that's runnable in the browser. We actually have a project where our consultants are writing closure on the back end and writing closure on the front end uh, with React. So it's closure all the way. Um, so this goes through each step of building a Tetris clone. And by the very nature of, of closure and REPL based development, you're able to maintain state throughout each step in this thing. And it's building on top of the previous step. So it's really cool to, to see visually what's happening um, and so visually learn closure while you're building something in the browser um, that's a game. So it, at the end of it, you actually get a full-fledged game. Um, I didn't go through the internal, so I haven't stepped down into the actual, like after this, they have like table of contents and actual like steps and coding the whole thing and like what each of these primitives and how you code that in terms of closure script um, to get those visual effects that you're seeing there. This is more, at a high level, closure functions, closure maps, closure data structures, and, and how you invoke those and, and construct something to see what you're seeing. But then the, the full tutorial goes into actually how they implement the graphics and the state changes and things like that on the browser. So it's really cool. And demystified for great. folks that think like Tetris is a really complex thing, it's not. And things like this is really cool because when you were a kid, you're like, oh, this is so cool. but it's not that complicated and it demystifies it all. So it's to be broken up into little pieces and each piece, you know, builds on another. 
But that's very, very cool. I mean, that's one of the problems I've had with learning closure is I just needed an excuse for something to put it against. And a game is a great way to learn things. We teach our React class using a game um, that we build up. And it, even though it's kind of a simple game, um, it's it's a way of getting some conversation where at least you know some parameters of what you're working on, you know. And then it's just the tech to solve the problem. So I, this is great. I gotta. We should reach out to him and talk to him about this. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be cool. All right, Sam um, Altman prediction yeah. AI. Go ahead. You go. Sam Altman is currently uh, the CEO of OpenAI, a, a company I think out in California that I think. Elon Musk is involved with uh, that's out to try to keep AI from doing harm to humanity. So they believe in AI and they're doing a lot of research um, on machine learning, deep learning, things like that, and general AI, general intelligence. But their their charter, their mission is we want to do it in a way that keeps humanity from being harmed and have the technology serve good instead of evil. Um, So he has a tweet here, prediction AI will cause the price of work that can happen in front of a computer to decrease much faster than the price of work that happens in the physical world. Mm. This is the opposite of what most people, including me, expected and will have strange effects, which I never really thought of it that way, but it is very interesting. What he's saying is development, writing tools, use, using computer or any, in, you know, the information economy, information workers, if AI is able to do a large part of that kind of work, the, the cost of that work is gonna go down a lot. And so, it, so will its value. Um, but things like being a plumber, being an electrician, having a trade that requires manual dexterity that they have not been able to impart on robots yet and, and creativity and art and, and um, manual labor is going to become very valuable and much more so than computing. This reminds me of every once in a while when I'm really struggling with a tough, tough tech problem. I look at someone else and when you look at you and say, why don't we just go and, and get some landscaping done? <laughs> you know? Do something, get outside and work in the real world. And maybe it'll end up that way um, where, you know, computers do a lot of the, the lifting. Um, yeah. yeah. Maybe I'll go out and start busking with my guitar. That could work. Interesting comedy thing. I, I wonder, you know, um, we right now have this really strange situation that we've had for at least a decade where it's so hard to find enough good people that we have, you know, been able to um, kind of get and work on projects. And, and every company's having this challenge. Um, it would be to the point where if there's enough AI applied that a lot of the coding will go away and it's orchestrating and creating, you know, um, being creative. I think of the same thing with like musical stuff, right? It used to be if you were going to make music on a computer in your eight bit computer, you would write a basic program to make the sound of the music or a C program to do that. And now we use tools like logic pro and we're, you know, downloading plugins that simulate electric grand pianos. Right. And so we're making creative stuff happen on a computer and not thinking about the programming of it. So it, yeah. that that does track directly in, in all sorts of ways, you know. Yeah. And I got you, know, to you, used to be, you had to be an expert in Photoshop. So I used to be an expert in Photoshop, and now it's like, well, anyone can apply an effect and sharpen things just by dragging yeah. sliders around. And, and they can do it on their phone even, which is yeah. scary. Um, yeah. I had got to this through Hacker News, and there was an interesting thread on there uh, as part of commenting on this was, um, like, it's actually – you know, being becoming a certified plumber, so it takes a number of years. Oh yeah. And like certification and training, it's actually when I when I was reading this from them, it's 
it actually seemed like it was harder to become a plumber and, and took more time and effort and training than to become a programmer, to be quite honest. So yeah. it, it'll be interesting to see if things like if things like this shift that way, because the trades are harder to acquire and be trained and, and good at. And there's a safety component because what you're doing affects people directly um, versus uh, most programmers. So, uh, and there was another question on there about like people asking about, well, what does this mean for children you know, growing up now, like 20 years from like, what fields should they be going in? What should they be studying? Because what if things do change a lot in the next 30 years? Yeah, and not for nothing, like I was not... I guess I should restate what I was saying. It, not any negative thing on landscaping because it's its own art and its own work and talent. It's just that like it, you feel like you're doing something that's not real when you're writing code every day, even though you ultimately are contributing to a project. Sometimes those projects fizz out or you know the company gets acquired or they change direction and what you were working on for a year goes away. And yeah. you know, Speaking sometimes of not- autonomous lawnmowers, there's a company, I forget the name. Oh, wow. That- Come, you know, working on that right now, where that'll become completely AI driven. <laughs> That's crazy. That's just crazy. Cool topic. Very interesting. Um, all right. Well, we talked about Monterey, so we can skip that. Uh, slash dot. What do we have here? Scientific advances from deep brain stimulation to wearable scanners are making manipulation of the human mind increasingly possible creating a need for laws and protections to regulate the use of the new, t- new tools, top neurologist said on Thursday. This is on Slashdot by editor David posting this. Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't really have anything beyond what you just said, um, other than like, I really thought I was reading a science fiction book from the 60s when I was reading. I'm like, proposing neuro rights and what can and can't be done to manipulate the brain and as things become more connected. And I mean, that... It's amazing that they're scientific. They're not. It's not like a tongue-in-cheek article. Like they're actually no. this, and they want to start putting a framework around around protecting people's rights in this. It's just wow. I can't believe we're we're at a point that this is actually being discussed. They're imaging activity in the brain for all sorts of different things that you do. So they're seeing where the message flow is going, and you know, I mean, and they've just finished completely mapping the human genome. Um, there's so much science being done and, and it's accelerating yeah. and it's going to open up these new things. We, we've had these, you know, don't clone humans, uh, you know, provisions for years, but that's cloning a human and that's crazy. But yeah. What about brain control? It's the same ethical, con- you know, consideration. Yeah. So. Like what? We have 8 billion humans right now. We're going to have like 11 billion by 2050 or 20, whatever, 2100. Oh. So do we really need to clone people? No, but can we just control no. the excess of people that, sure, I shouldn't say excess, but clone the, the already billions that are out. I mean, con- mind control the billions that are out there. So they're basically clones. Like that's scary. The Phillies are controlling me now. This is mind control. I'm going to try to bat and I will miss. All right. Here's an interesting thing. Uh, right to repair bill. These are kind of gaining steam in different uh, commonwealths. This is kind of the same thing as like, trying to make Google a utility in terms of the, the reach. Um, but there's a lot of people talking about forcing manufacturers to make it possible to repair things. Now, I don't know how far you can get. They glue these things together in such a way that you can't physically, you know, open it up without doing damage in many cases. Definitely iPad, definitely Surface Books and things like that. Um, but wouldn't it, would it kill them if it made it possible for you to remove it and get the battery replaced? Uh, that's the kind of thing they're talking about here. So this is uh, the S4104 uh, in New York State. 
uh, to try to get companies to allow people to repair things uh, and allow companies to offer repair services for for devices um, without being you know frozen out by like the you know the systems by the vendors like for example Apple Care and things like that. Yeah, so, do you remember the name of the guy who works for John Deere who spoke at ET and we did a pregame with him and he was talking about the tractors and all that and how the newer things are very tough for any farmer to fix on their own. So they have to go to like a John Deere approved mechanic yeah. or set it out to get it fixed. And sometimes they don't get it back for a month or two. And unless they have backup tractors or older, they're, they're shit out of luck because yeah. that whole season right there. So the impact the agriculture industry and cause they need to be able to repair stuff on their own. And, and think of the waste. Like, so for example, I've got enough devices where the screen is, has shattered or the battery has, has finally failed on it, then I've got a stack of them every couple of years to take the Best Buy or Staples to recycle, you know? Um, and if we could just replace the battery without spending X hundred dollars because we're out of warranty, then we could just recycle the battery, you know, and not recycle the entire unit. And it's it's a brick. Someone could use it. Yeah. And hopefully know? this would bring up a, the cottage industry of, of the local repair guy again. Like there was a guy back in the day when I was growing up, could repair anything. I'm not gonna like yeah. take a lumber gets fixed, microwave to him gets fixed, TV gets fixed, whatever. He the guy could do anything. And hopefully things like this open some of that up again where now you have local experts that can repair some things and you can go to them instead of a very expensive corporation. Complete side note, but this kind of tracks is there is a set of boutique uh, YouTubers out there that that do like reviews of repairing old equipment. So there's this guy named Mr. Carlson. He has this show called Mr. Carlson's Lab. He's out of Canada, and uh, I forget the woman's name who does the. Uh, she's a she's a a tube amp repair person, and you know there's there are all these people out there that like show you their entire tear down and repair and fix things. Uh, there's a lot of that still going on out there. It's just, it's really hard to do when everything's glued together and all the screws are with screwdrivers that are impossible to get and that kind of thing. So That's I really awesome. hope someday this will change. I'll check that out. I didn't know about the Mr. Carlson thing. It sounds cool. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, he is. He's really interesting. He'll take apart like, you know, broadcast receivers and TVs and amplifiers and you name it, but, uh, and make things work again, tape decks. So interesting stuff, but, but this is the kind of thing, like we really lost our ability to keep things in service and that's yeah. just, there's so much e-waste because people can't get things upgraded or fixed. You know, we used to go and get our computers. I had a computer chassis for over 10 years. I just kept upgrading the CPU and memory, just new motherboard periodically. And yeah. now, you know, laptops being that impossible. Um, tablets are even worse and phones are even worse than that. So it would be nice to see this seems to be a higher value and more important thing to try to solve as a, as a country in a world than, you know, making Google a utility, but, you know, same kind of like pushed from government side, it might have a real uphill battle because of all the, you know, all the, the, uh, people fighting against it from the companies. Okay. You have another one here, uh, about ransomware. I think this is you, right? Yeah, so this was a, they were talking about a, a ransomware attack targeting the Teamsters Union in 2019 that the FBI, that they reached out to the FBI um, and said, hey, this is happening. And FBI basically had recommended to them, just pay it. It's not going to get fixed. This happens all the time. And we just look the other way. We get requests. We, ransomware attacks are going on all the time. 
on large and small companies, many of which are never reported or publicized, so we don't know about. And FBI generally just says, pay it. We can't do anything about it. So they t interest union refused to pay it. Um, so they did not pay it in this case, and they rebuilt all their systems, and they had backups of data. So like, they basically gave a middle finger to this, this hacker, and we're like, okay, we'll rebuild everything to be more secure and restore stuff from backup data. So whatever you want, we're not paying you. Um, what was that's not the interesting part. Actually, the interesting part is the FBI's response to them and be like, oh, this goes on all the time. We, we're not going to do anything about it and we can't do anything about it. So just pay them whenever they ask you to pay. So that's really kind of disgusting to think about. Like, that's where we are right now as a, as a tech scary, community. Yeah. And, and there are hospitals going offline and power companies and, and meat producers. And, you know, there are these hackers, whether they're overseas or in the United States, who knows? Uh, a lot of them are overseas in Russia and places like that. And we're, we're kind of paralyzed because we haven't figured out the tech to make things to, to apply the tech consistently to make things safer um, yeah. and, and protect against this stuff, you know? And it happens all the time that we don't even know about. We're saying an unknown number of companies and organizations have been extorted without ever saying a word about it publicly. So it's, yeah, you know, it's I, I don't know use their, that are actually already had breaches that we don't even know about. And like, I'm just thinking of the power grid and stuff like, no, yeah. wait, wait till that happens. Yep. They fry the power grid or they, they disrupt like water services somewhere. And, you know, people could do real damage. And I, I, I think this is the kind of thing that, that States need to really countries need to be really serious about this as a, a defense issue, an infrastructure issue for the country. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. That's, that's something, isn't it? And you know, the public, the public stance has been don't pay. Right. That's what I've, I've heard. Like, you know, the, the, when, when they uh, report it in the press, uh, the FBI will say, we don't recommend they pay, but privately they're saying just pay. So that's, that's not great. All right. Wait, it's back. <laughs> I think I opened it up twice. Um, okay. Next one. How hackers use Slack to break into EA games. This is mine. Um, so it turns out that uh, good old social engineering strikes again. Um, uh, basically, what happened was a bunch of hackers wanted to get into electronic arts to like get the code for games and like you know get free games and things like that. And uh, all they had to do was get on the Slack uh, and then convince an employee over Slack to provide a login token, and they broke in. This is old Kevin Mitnick Hacker 101 stuff, right? They just basically said, yeah, well, we're in here and we really need to get our token. We have, don't have a token. And someone said, yep, no problem. And it's, it's always the way people break in. They find a weakness in the person uh, that they're talking to to figure out, like, oh, well, I'm really an authorized user. And they get it. So now what they've done is they store the source code for FIFA 21, uh, the source code for Frostbite Engine that powers all these games, uh, internal development tools. They have about 780 wow. gigabytes worth of data and they're advertising it for sale on forums. That's a lot of uh, IP they stole. Man. Yeah, it's bad. Um, here we go. Represented for the hackers. <laughs> Told Motherboard in an online chat that the process started by purchasing stolen cookies. Unbelievable. Being sold online for 10 bucks and then using those to gain access to a Slack channel. Uh, and so basically the cookies have the person's uh, login details and then they can go in and, and, you know, message the support person. We lost our phone at a party last night. This again is, and I keep bringing up the name Kevin Mitnick, but Kevin Mitnick was like the first hacker that was like prosecuted and thrown in jail um, for hacking. And he stole the code to like, 
I think it was the code to like the Vax uh, operating system from digital equipment and a bunch of other things. And he was, you know, attacking the phone companies and got all their code. Um, so anyway, yeah, bad stuff. And it all starts with social engineering. So not a bad idea to learn about what that is and really kind of educate your tech support people about how to, you know, avoid getting, you know, hit by this kind of thing. Did anyone raise their hand and say, I stole the cookie from the cookie jar? <laughs> not me. <laughs> the reason they called us that song when we were kids. Now I, now I understand the value of the song. Yeah. And again, that's Joseph Cox on uh, vice.com. All right. Um, you brought this one up, interpreters and compilers. I think oh, yeah. I, was, I was saving this for the end of the show, but that's fine. Just as a parting I think thing. That's it. We'll come back to it. Yeah, we're, we're good. No, we're, this is the end of the show. We have oh, okay. reached well, the end of the right. internet. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is from the 80s. You, I don't know if you know this show, Bits and Bytes. Do you remember that? No. Computer, uh, Computer Chronicles, I know, from the 80s, which they're all of them are online. And they're hilarious. But anyway, go ahead. Um, so this was like a, uh, I think it was like a short mini cartoon in the 80s that would come like between commercial breaks or whatever. But uh, this one is about teaching kids the difference between interpreters and compilers. It, I, it's, cool. definitely worth, it's very nostalgic. It's totally worth a watch. Oh, that's so great. That is so great. Um, yeah, I, I love this kind of thing. It's it's like it's it's so like dates everything. Like here, the person is he's got a suit and tie. You can tell this is not now. Software <laughs> engineers are not that organized <laughs> in their clothing choices anymore. Right. I love how everybody thought back then that robots and androids would be like prevalent everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And now it's what you know, 30, 40 years later, but. If you want a real laugh too, the computer chronicles is hilarious. And I believe this is now all online. Um, we might as well hit this one up too. Um, uh Oh, it's playing. Stop it playing. But, but we're talking like all the way back to like the early, early eighties and people showing off their, you know, uh, K pro model twos and stuff like that. I remember this. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was yeah. cool back in the day. I was there a Muppet in there. Uh, Christmas buying guide from, you know, whatever year that is anyway. Okay. We've had enough fun for the day. I got to get back to regular work. So if you are interested uh, in subscribing to the TechCast, if you run across this thing, chariotsolutions.com TechCast will get you there. You can also find this, um, you know, you, Oh, actually, and you can go to our podcast page under resource podcast. There's a subscribe link here, but also if you go to iTunes, if you go to, um, uh, Spotify or Amazon podcast or anything. We're all up on those. So you can subscribe there as well. We'd love to have you. Um, if you want to send us feedback, hit us up at, at, uh, at TechCast on Twitter or TechCastFeedback at ChariotSolutions.com. And Sujan, we are hiring, right? Yes, we are hiring. Uh, thanks for mentioning that. So if you guys are interested in learning more about Chariot, um, we're hiring for multiple positions, uh, senior software engineers, Java, Python, Node, AWS, um, senior data engineers, Python, ETL, you know, AWS. And then we're also um, looking for iOS and Android senior engineers as well, um, Swift or Kotlin. So um, if you're in, if any of that strikes your fancy and want to learn more, please uh, reach out to me and Ken or anyone and check out our website at cherrysolutions.com slash careers. There it is. All right, great. Well, that's it. So we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, everyone enjoy the end of the uh, the rest of June and we'll catch you in the very beginning of July or 
whatever it is, I guess it's June 30th. I guess we're going to be back again or 29th. Can't add. That's enough for me today. I'm, I'm out. See ya. <laughs> Have a good week. Take care, everyone.